You're listening to The Sound Atlas. Okay, and welcome back to another episode of The Sound Atlas. I apologize, but the original host is back for this one. Um, and this week we have a very special guest, Mr. Sermy Jimon. Hello. I mean, Jeremy Simon. Hello, how's it going? I'm good. So, um, we'll go straight to the generics. Let's start with my dog sneezing, and where were you born? I was born in Bowling Green, uh, November 6th, 1983, at... The medical center. Okay, so is your family originally from Warren County? Um, family's originally from Edmondson County. Uh, we moved to Warren County when I was 13 years old. Um, but before that, I lived in Edmondson County, and that's still where a lot of my family's from. Okay. Um, so at what age or whom would have gotten you into music? Um, I always credit early influences. Um, my papa. Uh, he would sing a lot of like acapella country songs just walking through the house uh-huh. and so I knew so- song lyrics and words uh, to classic country songs before I even knew who sang it you know Johnny Cash Hank Williams right. and all that so I remember being very small and doing that um, I'm not sure exactly what it was but I do know that when I was about um, three and four years old I used to get a hairbrush and I would get family in the living room at like my grandparents house whoever was in the house uh-huh. and I would put shows on it for him and I would sing Elvis songs at like four years old right in the living room with everyone gathered around I made a big deal I'm like hey you know the show's about to start you know little mm-hmm. kid me but <laughs> and then um after that uh starting in kindergarten when I was five I started doing talent shows up until I was about uh, 11 years old I guess You're just singing just singing yeah. um at, you know with a backing track and I would have like a um choreographed like performance of like dance like yeah. I did a Billy Ray Cyrus song Achy Breaky Heart <laughs> at a talent show when I was a kid right. and so I watched his music videos and and had all that choreographed out uh, I, I bought a hat at Spencer's Gifts that was those hats that used to have the long hair uh-huh. uh, attached to the little clip on it and yeah. so I just took the clip off and clipped it to the back of my hair and and it looked it was short so it looked like the mullet you know yeah right so um, so yeah, I did those talent shows uh, all the way through elementary school, and then when I got in middle school, I didn't do talent shows anymore. I actually got pretty shy in middle school. Um, still interested in music. Um, got a guitar, acoustic guitar, when I was ten years old. Uh, I took a few lessons, but really wasn't disciplined or interested completely in it at that point. Um, so I just kind of kept the acoustic guitar around. I loved listening to music. It was still, you know. Uh, it was a, a big interest for me. But then um, when I was about 12, uh, I was good friends with this guy named Dustin. And this is really what kind of got me really into music was I, I, he had a guitar and was a pretty good guitar player. And I always wanted to play with him, but I didn't really know shit at that point, you know. Right. And so uh, we listened to, you know, a lot of 90s rock and all that. And so I decided I was going to be his bass player. You know, we'd find a drummer, you know. So I bought a bass guitar, a PV bass. I still own to this day, actually. Okay. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I got it for my birthday. I shouldn't say I bought it. My, my dad actually bought it for me. And I um, uh, started playing bass and started learning songs and buying, like, Guitar World magazine and tabs, what my friend Dustin was into. Yeah, that's what I did, yeah. Yeah, going to Walmart and doing that, man. And uh, that was really kind of what got me into, like, playing. And then I'd say by the time I was 14, I started writing uh, what I thought were then were songs, you know. Mm-hmm. First chorus, you know, yeah. simple stuff. But when, when would have been the first time that you played music in front of people? 
first time as far I, as being you know yeah. playing music playing instruments and singing yeah exactly I would say I was um I remember being in high school and playing at a friend's graduation party. I was just playing acoustic and it wasn't like mic'd up or anything. But that's probably the first time I played in front of a decent group because there's probably like 30 people and it was in my friend's basement. And I was playing a few cover songs and a couple of originals I had written that I felt pretty good about and I wanted to see what people thought. But that, from my memory, that was the first time I ever played in front of an actual crowd. You know, that wasn't like family or something. Gotcha. So what would have been, well, I, I, let me go back. So when you, after your achy, breaky heart period, yeah, what would have been the next band that you got into? Or, or was, I guess, because you don't play country now, so what was the first band outside of country that you got into? Yeah. Well, um, let's see. I was actually, you know, what's funny about that, I will say this. Um, even though I d performed a lot of country uh, songs for these talent shows, I also, at the time, uh, I wasn't necessarily into the music I performed, but I knew they were like top songs on the charts and it would go over well because I really wanted to win the talent show was the whole goal. Right. So Achy Breaky Heart was like the number one song then. And then I did like Boot Scoot and Boogie by Brooks and Dunn when it was number one. What? My mic isn't working. Oh shit. <laughs> All right, and now I can hear myself. So um, let's go back. What's the last thing you said? Um, you were talking about like the first uh, band I got into. Um, you were asking like, you know, I'm not obviously wasn't playing country and I would do these talent shows. And what I was trying to say is I, I necessarily wasn't really listening to the shows I would perform. I would kind of just go with the top hit. And right. country was big in Edmondson County where I was from. And so of course, I was like, yeah. I'm going to go and, you know, give these people the song they want to hear and, and win this damn talent show. Right. Funny story is I never won it. Uh, but oh, really? I, but I was a crowd favorite. I got the loudest <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Um, I still well, believe to this day I did. Um, but it was always like a gymnastics girl that won it, you know? That That's hilarious because I won my um, senior year of, what they call it, project prom, after prom, where they'd have the talent yeah. show. Yeah. I won it by doing Vince Gill's uh, Go Rest High on That Mountain. And oh, yeah. I beat a foreign exchange student from Germany who did gymnastics. Wow. <laughs> At least someone beat a gymnastics person. So, and someone that... <laughs> Thanks for winning, winning for the team, Russell. Yeah, the only reason I did that was because I was like, these teachers are going to dig this Vince Gill. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, I, and they did. I think I got 150 bucks for that. Well, I even picked up one, too. So one of the judges was my PE teacher. Uh, her name was Miss Jaretta. Mm -hmm. And Miss Jaretta, would, we would do you know exercise uh, at gym class, and we would listen to music sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it was either she loved Michael Jackson and then she also liked like modern pop country. So I heard like Boots Good and Boogie and I'm like, man, you know, Miss Jaretta, she's one of the judges. She really likes this song. She's playing her extra. <laughs> I'm going to do that fucking song, you know, <laughs> I'm part of my French. But uh, yeah, yeah. anyway, so I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I would choose kind of what I thought might be a winner, but I, I didn't actually win it. Um, there was a girl named Allison who did this gymnastics routine. She won it like every year. Uh, I got first runner up in fifth grade was the best I ever got. Um, but I was pretty good at it. I had good costumes, and and what's funny is I was a very Your heart was in it. My heart was in it, man. Yeah. And I was a very quiet kind of shy kid in school. And so uh, one of the reasons I got into the talent show was my mom wanted to. She knew I liked to enter, uh, had an interest in music, and do these little shows for people at the house. Yeah. But I was very like 
and I still to this day I'm, I'm introverted but I was very introverted and I'll, I would spend more time like by myself and kind of in my own doing my own thing and yeah. so she wanted me to, be, me to be a little more social and get over some anxiety so I started doing um, those talent shows um, which was it's really funny now because like uh, I was just like this quiet little kid all throughout who no one really knew until the end of the year and then it was the talent show you know right. so then you, then you shined yeah then I shined <laughs> but as far as that uh, when I got into middle school, and like I said, when I got the bass, that's when I started really like listening to music and like having favorites. Uh, the first CD I ever owned was in middle school in sixth grade, and it was uh, the Black Album by Metallica. Okay. Um, here's the f- I can name you the first I think th- at least the first three or four I ever had was the Black Album by Metallica. Um, What's the story? Morning Glory by Oasis. Yeah. Um, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, and Silver Chair Frog Stomp. Yeah, well, I mean, you did pretty good for yeah. a first four there. That's yeah, that was my first four, and that was in sixth grade. Um, I got a CD player for Christmas, and uh, got the Metallica CD because I, you know, Inner Sandman was cool. I wasn't getting so, into so, them. So, so that's the top track on the Black Album? Uh, for me at that time, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, and then I obviously, you know, liked more of them. And Let's go through. What's the top track on uh, Oasis there? What's the story, Morning Glory? My favorite track is probably Don't Go Away, and I've always liked that one. Right, but the top track is probably either Wonderwall, of course, or yeah. uh, Champagne Supernova is great. Is Don't Look Back and Anger on that as well? Uh, yeah, that's what I meant to say. Don't, don't Look Back. Don't right. Look Back and Anger is the one I'm talking about. Or that's is it the best Champagne song. Supernova? I'm not sure what's on they're what both, album there. They're both oh, on they're that all album. on that? Yeah, oh, okay. and Don't Look Back and Anger has always been my favorite, okay. for sure. What about the Jagged Little Pill? Jagged Little Pill, I mean, it's tough not to say ironic, uh, just because the video was so fun, and it's just a cool song. Don't you think it's tough not to say ironic? Yeah. 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 It's tough not to say ironic. Um, (laughs) And then uh, uh, there's also uh, the other, what's the other uh, song on there? The uh, One Hand in My Pocket. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You Ought to Know. You Ought to Know. You Ought to Know the other song on there. Uh, There's a dirty line about a movie theater in there. I, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. something about uh, I think oral sex in a movie theater. Oral sex in the old, in the old um, Plaza Six. <laughs> <laughs> I think is how she put it. I'm not sure. Nice. So, when's the first time that you get to get? Like, let me take this back. So, what's your first band that you're in? This is fun. Uh, the first band I was in, I was 16 years old. Uh, didn't I actually got my driver's license while I? But I had my permit, um, and I worked at Houchins. Uh, on Louisville Road. Yes, sir. And um, I met this guy named Weston, and he was a drummer, and I you know, still had my bass, and I was uh, marketing myself as a bass player then, even though I'd never, mm-hmm. you know, I was 16 years old, never played anything really, just knew basic stuff. Uh, self-taught as well. But um, we started playing in his basement, started jamming around, and had a couple other friends that kind of showed up here and there, but it never really, like, took off but we called ourselves eclipse and that was the okay. first band i was ever in it was, was called that eclipse. after the car uh that was <laughs> after i got the car did you have a mitsubishi eclipse no i meant did you oh, oh, oh i got you i got you no what's funny it was actually after weston's car he had a mitsubishi eclipse. oh okay so, there yes. you go. so it was good yeah good car yeah fair enough all right so where did you guys play we never played a show. It never oh, okay. branched out of his basement. Uh, we considered ourselves a band. We practiced. We recorded demos in his basement. But we never actually got a live show, and I got fired, and they actually played a live show after I got fired. Oh, they fired you from, they the, fired me. from I just, the non-gigging band. From the non-gigging band because I wasn't a good enough bass player. 
So, you know, it's funny. It's um, there, well, it's not only musicians that have bands like that. Whereas, like, well, I was with these guys for a while, but we never really did anything. Exactly. But there's people that you've never seen play music out ever that also have those bands. Like almost everyone, not almost, not every person ever, but if you yeah. ever had some interest in playing music, you kind of had that band. It was like, no, I was in a band. You know, the older I get, kind of feels like I'm telling old tales. You know, yeah, like, yeah. No, I did that. I did that. It's just we didn't. We didn't. Nobody saw us, but yeah, we were good. You yeah. should have seen us. We were good. It, it, the story gets better as you get older. You know, the band. Yeah, yeah the band gets better. The band gets better. The band gets better, and they, you know, uh, the elaboration obviously gets better as it goes on. Um, let's see, what was I going to say? Um, the funny thing too is that also all the bands like when you were a kid if you were interested in music that you talked to your friends about that we're going to do that never you know formulated mm-hmm. you yeah. know yeah. we're going to be in this band you know you draw all the logos on your notebook oh and yeah. yeah you know you draw the the stage and all all that stuff and then it just you know nothing ever so happens. your first band's Eclipse first band's Eclipse what's was, was your second band did they play in front of other people or just practice uh, now this is funny um, the second band band actually that was a band i was in um that wasn't my own music uh because i didn't actually have a band for my own music too much later on but the second band i'm in i think was we did play live shows but it was much later on in life um i was in my 20s it was i want to say family raccoon was the first band that I was in, that I like actually consistently played in and played live shows, okay, and didn't get fired from. I remember you playing in that band. Yeah, um, I think I might have played a show with y'all at um, oh, what was the name of the venue? Froggies. No, yeah. um, under the overpass there by WKU. Oh, uh, yes, uh, that is uh, Lava Lounge. Yes, at the Lava Lounge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. I, be- I believe we did now. Actually, when you said that, I was remembering that. Yeah. So I played. Uh, that's from what I remember. That was the first band I'd actually like played in. But now playing with a band on stage happened uh, a few years before that. It's how I met Dan Marlowe. Actually, um, mm-hmm. I'd started playing acoustic shows out. I was playing open mics at Tidballs. Uh, the first build show I ever actually got was from Lee Harvey. Um, okay. I'd only played uh, open mics and stuff at that point, um, but he gave me my first build <clears throat> show, and I've still got the flyer from that. Uh, it okay. was with uh, Ned Van Gogh. Where, uh, yeah, where was that? Uh, that was at Tidballs. Tidballs, okay. And that was 2008, maybe? Yeah, because I, I remember you playing, or seeing you playing acoustic at Baker Street or Baker Boys, whatever yeah. it was. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, the the Froggies thing. Was it Froggies? Yeah, it had done turned to Froggies. Okay, yeah. it, was, it was Froggies, okay. I remember you. I, you, I, I used to play, play there, there quite a bit. Yeah. 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 I had a gig there on the mon- on Mondays with um, Brandon Burchett, who used to play with uh, mm-hmm. Japanese Squirrels. Yep. Um, he uh, actually going back to my story. This is actually relates to it. Um, so uh, I met Dan because I was opening for his band. After I'd played with Lee Harvey, I connected out some other bands and uh, um, I connected Consuming the Airplane, um, and because uh, I knew this guy named Pete. That was uh, I forgot all about yeah. consuming the airplane. Consuming the airplane. Can you explain who was it? Just for my own benefit, if no one else's, who was it? I forgot it. Yeah. Okay. So Brandon Burchett was the guitar player. Right. Daniel Marlowe was the drummer. Um, the bass player 
was this guy named Brian who lives in California now. I can never remember his last name, um, but he was he had red red hair and dreads. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> I don't. And then he cut his hair a little bit, but yeah, okay. he Brian was the bass player for a little bit, and then they got another bass player too, and I don't really know him that well. Okay. Uh, and then this guy, the lead singer's name was Pete, and his I think his last name was Zervis. Pete Zervis. That's it. Okay. Z-E-R-V-A-S. He was from somewhere else and was like a transplant to Western. Oh, okay. So uh, I get on a bill with them and play a couple shows, and then we become friends, and then like they're playing, you know, not good spots around town. They're not playing tidballs. You know, we're right. playing like right. any place that'll play music that'll allow you to play like original stuff, but there's like not a good built-in crowd, and it's yeah. shitty little places, but, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's was this one place we played that's out on uh, – it was on Three Springs Road. I've never heard of that place. Uh, it's where it used to be. There's now that, uh, what's that place called? It's like an IGA or something now. You know that new little thing they put on Three Springs Road? I don't. Anyway, if you're out there, yeah, yeah it's, okay. it's all gone now. But there was that place, and there was some other little place across the tracks that we would play it to, and I can't even remember the name. Yeah. But then as I opened for them, and I'm talking I, every like weekend, I was like, I would be their opener, and I would play you know, five or six acoustic songs, combination of covers and originals. Then Dan and Ben Ezel, there we go. There was another bass player, and then Ben Ezel became the bass player for Consuming the Airplane. I can't believe I forgot that. So Ben and Dan, uh, uh, and of course I was friends with Brandon, not really Pete less than any of them. He kind of did his own thing. Yeah. So they had, you know, liked my songs and were encouraged me to play, and so... Dan and Ben said, hey, you know, we actually know a couple of your songs. We paid attention enough. Would you be cool if we got out and played it? Mm -hmm. Never had practice before. And this was at um, the Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. uh, we started playing quite a bit of shows there and actually had some decent crowds there um, a few times. First decent crowd that I ever played in front of. And so they hopped up on stage and it just like, it was like a, like a jolt in me. It really like, yeah. you know, it, fired me up and I was like man I gotta get some more of this band stuff you know with right. with my stuff I'd played you know played around with other people's stuff and I love playing bass and love playing in other bands too but what would have been your your your, your big song to you at that time when you were um, what was your best song what was good what question was uh, there's a big song that I really would kind of say for last it was called Earthquake and that's the one they jumped up on okay um, it was uh, funny thing about this song it was capoed uh -huh. uh, the capo was on the ninth fret yeah um, and so it was a really high-pitched um, finger-picking song uh, with just, you know, very, like, basic chords, but it had the capo on it, so it had a really kind of unique sound. It was really pretty, but Earthquake was my song then. And I also had okay. a song called Candlelight, um, and somewhere floating around in the cosmos is some demos of these songs that were recorded by Brandon Burchett. Okay. Uh, and probably around 2008. So nine. what would have been the first song you wrote on guitar? That you were like, this is a song I'm going to play. First song I can think of that I actually wrote on guitar and wrote lyrics, and I was like, all right, this is actually, this is a song. I've, I've written a song. The song was called Hollywood, and I wrote it when I was 14 years old. Oh, okay. And I can't remember all of it. I started to say, um, how's it start? Uh, it, I don't remember the words so much, to be honest with you. Um, I do remember that being a, a, like a song, but I remember it talked about basically me driving around in Hollywood uh, in a Cadillac and like sunshine, very generic basic yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't. I wish I could remember it, but um, yeah, I do know it was called Hollywood, and it was basically about like driving around in a Cadillac in Hollywood. So <laughs> well, that's all you need. Whatever to do, that means. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> 
So you're playing with those, or they're backing <coughs> you up on a couple songs per yeah. night, so you're still doing just opening for consuming yeah. the airplane, which I'd forgotten. I'm so glad you said right. that. Right. I remember that now. Daniel Marlowe came up with that name, too, because he had, um, I think he saw something on the internet about some guy who had actually... Uh, Don't say eating an airplane. He had consumed an entire <laughs> airplane piece by piece for some kind of weird record thing. I don't know if this is true or not, <laughs> but Dan sound, believed it was real? true. Dan believed it was is true. Is that a real thing? Uh, whether it was real or not, it, I have it, to it, look that up now. Yeah, it did inspire the uh, the name of the band. Um, yeah, just look up "Man Consumes Airplane." Man, eat an airplane or an bad like that oh yeah there we go okay actually yep according to the internet um a guy did eat an entire airplane so i was wrong dan is right wow yeah that's worth the goog uh it's probably important i I forgot one thing that i should probably note um that actually before lee harvey gave me my first show uh brennan graves Mm -hmm. um used to play at B-dubs and I lived not too far from B-dubs uh, at the time um, and I would go there and drink you know um, on the nights he would play and request Neil Young songs and all that Right. and so I became buddies with Brennan and he would end up he started coming over to and this was like shit this was probably 2005 2006 maybe mm-hmm. uh, yeah it had to be and anyway so he would come over to my apartment at the time like after his shows you know we hang out drink and stuff and then he gave me my first capo taught me how to play a few songs you know I could play guitar at that point but he showed me some other cool stuff and he actually let me get up at B-dubs and play a couple songs one time and there was yeah. a decent amount of people there so maybe that was the first time I actually really you know got up in front of a crowd so yeah. it was B-dubs B-dubs yeah because I remember it, it's a funny uh, quote I'll never forget this I remember telling Brennan you know at the time I was like man I was like Brennan I this is awesome. I was like, I want to do this someday. And he's like, what? Play a, a cover songs at a shitty chicken shack? And he's like, no, man, you should do better than this. Uh, and so, all right. And Bra- he played everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man of a Thousand Songs. I don't know if that's all he did. I, I assume it was. Yeah. Because it was basically every night of the week. Yeah. You could go see him play He, he did. Um, I knew Brennan. He played six and seven nights a week um, from... Bowling Green to Glasgow to yeah. wherever around the area, and that's how he made his money. Yeah, yeah. He was around a lot. So after after say so after you guys are so let's move back ahead of time. Let's move back ahead in time anyway. Sure. So when's the, the first time that you're like, okay, I'm Jeremy Simon, I'm starting my own thing with backing people. Okay. Yeah. Um. Like I said, it was much later on. I was playing uh i was still doing like acoustic stuff and i was playing bass uh in a hip-hop group that i'm sure a lot of people will remember or maybe not a lot but some people for Ooh, sure humble brag uh <laughs> i say they'll remember because it was ridiculous and that's it maybe won't remember for the best reason but natty bumpo natty bumpo and who was in natty bumpo uh this was fun uh the original lineup was scott gardner who went who left natty bumpo to go on and do Sleeper Agent. Uh, Billy Swayze, who played guitar and left Natty Bumpo to go on and pursue his own music. To do Billy Swayze. To do Billy Swayze. Um, I played bass in that, and I also was leaving the band because I wanted to pursue that. And then um, my good buddy Joey Stratton was the uh, 
the vocalist and rapper, if you will. Right. Yeah. So, and what went down with that? I well, um, I have to give Billy some uh, some credit here. He gave me a lot of confidence. Um, this is probably around 2009, 2010. You know that we were playing around, and I was writing a lot of songs at the time, and. I wasn't showing them to a lot of people. I mean, I would play some out acoustically at open mics, but I also had some stuff that it was different than what I had written, and I was still unsure about it. And so I showed a lot of my songs to Billy Swayze, and he really encouraged me to, you know, pursue my own band and my own stuff um, instead of, you know, continue to play bass. I mean, we loved, it was fun playing with Natty Bumpo, but, you know, we felt like that we had other artistic interests that needed to be, uh, you know, entertained i guess sure uh, it's funny when you said that because i'd honestly forgotten about that but i remember the video that you guys did at Fleeland. oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. turning heads um yeah. yeah that was a super fun video yeah um we did that with joel hopper um who lives in atlanta is from bowling green years ago used to be good friends with nappy roots and did a lot of their early videos mm-hmm. um you know joel i believe i know him. yeah i've do. met him before yeah, you, at least yeah, for exactly. a day or so yes yes um so yeah, we did that with him. That was that was a super fun day. Um, and then that night, the the part of it, that house party scene, was at Sleeper Agent's old house mm-hmm. because Scott was living there at the time. So what's what's next for you after Natty Bumpo? After Natty Bumpo, I um, decided that it was time to get a band together, and I well, actually, let me backtrack. I was still playing acoustic. Uh, I'd played, but I was gonna like, hey, I'm gonna go do my own thing. I really wanted to band, but you know, I'm gonna pursue my, just playing out on my own more instead of Natty Bumpo. So I started you know, trying to book more shows and stuff. I played Starry Nights Festival in 2010. You know, I played early in the day. Um, played a bunch of songs on a nylon string guitar. Sorry, say, can I interject on that? Yeah. Though? I don't believe Jeremy Simon played Starry Night Festival that year. Ah, I'm glad you brought that up actually. Bruce Cheetah, um, which is a really funny story. I was playing bass for the Hungry Ears um, on a few out-of-town shows. I uh, became good friends with JD, Michael McMillan, and Melissa. That was a lot of fun. I would basically play when Chris had to work. Um, so we had we had some great times. But uh, we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and I had a mustache at the time, and I bought this really cool like vintage button-down shirt um, at this store on uh, Bardstown Road and I was uh, I'll never forget this is when Bruce Bruce came up because JD was laughing and said I looked like a porn star uh-huh. and I was in the bathroom uh, and I was like yeah you know if I was a porn star my name would be Bruce Cheetah <laughs> and it was kind of as a joke and then I changed my Facebook name and I was like you know what this is fun and then my buddy Brad Brad Schultz was like no dude that's an awesome name you should use it <laughs> totally use that and so I played Starry Nights as Bruce Cheetah um, pretty funny uh, but then it was it was around that time it was formulating that I was like man I gotta get a band uh, recorded this song right before that Starry Nights uh, with this guy named Russell Brooks called uh, I think it might be an alien in his bedroom yeah yeah that's right yeah <laughs> I don't know that guy yeah. yeah and so that was a lot of fun but that really um that I'd recorded some demos, acoustic stuff with Brandon before, but that was the first recording I actually can remember on my own where it was my own music and it was a full band behind it. Was it with you? Really? Was the first one. Well, that wasn't really a full full. Who, who was there? It was me. Was Joey? Joey was there, right? I want to say it was me and you. Was it just me? It was and just you? me and you uh, on that version. I still have that version somewhere, but it was just me and you and uh, 
yeah, we did that in your bedroom. Because uh, we talked about some influences and kind of what you heard of that song. And you brought up the girl's song, Lust for Life. Oh, yeah. And you showed me the video, which that video is awesome, you know? And right. I remember you showing me that and telling me, like, you kind of heard that direction for the song. Uh-huh. But yeah, that was the first song I actually recorded that had like it wasn't just my voice and it was acoustic just kind guitar. Of flashed out as yeah, yeah. The recording. Yeah, okay, I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah, I wow. find some stuff out you don't know, Russell. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah. anyway, I recorded that with you, played the Starry Nights, and I um, was interested then. And I was like, you know, I really want to get this going. Um, but before I'd actually started a band and stuff, I was playing still acoustic a lot. Played the Starry Nights thing. Um, Brad Schultz had talked to me. They had just worked with Sleeper Agent. And he said, um, he said, hey, man, um, you know, uh, he's like, I really like your songs and all that. I've showed, I was making these videos on YouTube at the time, more so than I was playing show. I was making these weird, wacky, homemade videos of me playing acoustic with whatever props was in my girlfriend's house at that right. time. I was living with my girlfriend. She'd be gone at work. Um, I wasn't the most uh, responsible working adult at that time. (laughs) Uh, I like to party and uh, be irresponsible, Uh, but that's what it was, you know? And so I would make these videos uh, with these weird props, whatever, and I used her friend's camera, and I was posting these online and writing these songs. And so Brad saw these videos, and he shared them with his producer, Jay Joyce, and he's like, you know, Jay really loves your stuff, and he would love to work with you. So... I went down to Jay Joyce's and played him some of my songs in a studio, acoustic, on acoustic, and then we had planned out, okay, you're going to come back and, you know, we're going to record these songs. And I was like, cool, um, you know, I think I want to get a band for this. And I was like, well, you know, we can get some players even if you don't have a band. But, you know, I really wanted to have a band at that time, so I came back to Bowling Green talked to some people I knew Joey Bennett was my buddy at the time and he had played a little bit of guitar we'd messed around with music since high school and so I was like Joey I'll just teach you these bass lines so I taught Joey basically how to play bass for my songs right uh I knew Dan from before and I was like you know Dan had told me he'd like to play drums with me so got Dan then um we got JD on board, and we started practicing at Robbie Hess's house and then I remember at the time you were called the Breaks, though correct? they were called the Breaks, and I remember inviting you on board because I really wanted, uh, you know, more instruments, a fuller sound, and right. some backup vocals, some cool extra guitar, synth, all that, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it all kind of formulated, and that was really when I was, I took it, it was like, all right, you know, I really want to get my music out there and devote my time to that and not, like, side projects. Right. I can't remember now, why why would, why would was the name, I guess there was, was there our already a band named the breaks i can't remember yes from my from what i remember from that time is that we did some internet research and there was a uh was a band with the name the breaks i want to say they were from michigan and you know they they didn't have a crazy following but they had like a couple thousand followers and it scared us off enough that we're like no you know i remember that when we you said we're going to schools it was funny because there was already a band i think from nashville called rival schools there was yeah that's so right. That, that worked Which I didn't out. know about, it, and I think you actually—it uh, did work itself out. I think you were the actual one that brought that up because I do remember like hearing mm-hmm. about that band Rival Schools that I wasn't aware of at the yeah, time. Yeah, but. Yeah, right. you're, you're Rival Schools for schools. That's fine. And then there was also the Japanese Schoolgirls, yeah. which I didn't even think of at the time. Yeah. You know, was you know schools going on? Yeah, there's a lot, and yeah, but um, so yeah, the name became Schools, uh, which. I will go on the record and say maybe the worst band name you can think of uh, to search for on the internet. Yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah. 
So I didn't think that went through, but you know, you live and learn. And so, sure, sure. So, um, this, I'll let you elaborate as much as you want to, because it has been asked and it's asked me all the time. I avoided this question on my interview on the okay. podcast. Cause yeah. Like it's not my story to tell. It's Jeremy's. Okay. Um, what happened to schools? It's, it, that's a good story. Uh, it's a sad story. Uh, it's, uh, a, a destructive story in, in a sense. So schools, um, we recorded the record. Um, we had a lot of, uh, you know, good things that were being said to us and that we were looking forward to. I had stars in my eyes at the time and I thought, man, you know, this is going to be this. I'm about to be the, you know, we're about to be big time. Um, because I'd never been in that, you know, experience before. And, you know, we went to Austin, Texas, played South by Southwest and like, I thought we were rock stars then, you know. Right. It felt. Like uh, it. it felt. It felt pretty cool. But um, so um, I, uh, w- the, how it slowly started was one dude quit the band. One <laughs> At dude, some point, I'm not, I don't know where you. Yeah, were going. exactly. No one dude quit the band, <laughs> and that was really the downfall. But no, <laughs> no, <it wasn't. laughs> no but uh, so. Um, you know, at the time, and it was very—it was the toughest thing I'd ever had to do in my life at that time. I'm—I'm I'm a passive person, and I'm kind of shy. But uh, at that time, I wanted the band to have a different direction and a different sound. And for lack of better words or better description, I just felt like if I didn't make that decision, that it would have hindered us. And that also, I was hearing some other stuff too that was like, maybe you should, you know, try this because um, so. I wanted to go a different direction with the band. I wanted, so I contacted my buddy JD, who was in the band, and I let him know I was letting him go. Um, so the band changed to a four-piece after that, and we played several shows. We had some good stuff going on. Uh, we played some big shows, you know, here and there, um, and everything was going good. But really what happened was, I think there was a lot of anxiety within the band because things didn't happen um, as we thought they would. And I think that uh, I wasn't, for myself, I know that I was abusing alcohol and, you know, other stuff at that times. And I wasn't the most level-headed, focused guy. I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I was still very immature in the way that it was just like, you know, you're given the keys to a Corvette, but you really don't even know how to drive a car. But, you know, like, yeah. you know. at least that's how when I say keys to Corvette. That's how it felt to me to have this band and have this, you know, uh, yeah people liking my band I felt you know pretty important and special and and uh I had a lot of anxiety and I felt like there was anxiety within the band is like when's this gonna happen you know we did this record and nothing's happened you know and and the show started slowing down and I felt like the hype of the band started to slow down and it just wasn't what it once was and it uh you know it was it was losing steam and I remember you quit the band and I think at that time what it was is I mean it makes total sense was Financially, you were devoted a lot to the band, and we weren't doing anything yeah. successful. You yeah, know? I, well, I'll jump in there. Okay. Yeah, it, it, um, this is the only part I feel like I can speak to. At sure. the time, uh, it was like, well, um, felt like we were kind of being told we are going to be gone for a long time. We're going to have to, not a long time, but we're going to be on the road a lot, and you're not going to get anything financially from this. But at the time, I'm not... 50 years older than you but I'm older than you and I'd already made certain commitments and right um I wasn't married at the time but I wanted to be very soon and I'd yeah. already made certain decisions and I was like well I can't 
forsake everything. I have to have, you know, yeah. I have to pay these bills one way or the other. Totally understandable. Yeah. And to be fair at the time, um, I really wanted to be home more. I wanted to be home more around my wife. Yeah. My, well now wife and stuff like that. And I knew that I didn't know, but I felt like if I went that I'm going to either make you mad or her mad because eventually one day I'll be wherever yeah. middle of nowhere Kansas and be like alright I'm never coming back here again and let you down or let her down something yeah, was going to go south you. so I just had to be like well right. you made a good choice because Heather's you guys have been together what 18 years now and yeah she's alright she's alright <laughs> you know she has her days but no I, I just you know I just yeah, that, no, was, I that was really why I made the decision I was just like because we barely left the house really we were in Texas for what how many days uh, two or three yeah yeah and that just killed me and I was like, man, this sucks. Yeah. I don't want to be in a van. I don't want to be crowded and even drive through. And it, it, But I always say this, but for me, it was like, I wish I would have done what we did when I was 25 yeah. instead of 35. Right. Yeah. I just waited too long. I'd already been in, really in life, just in life too long because I was older than you guys. Well, JD's older than me. He's very extremely old. <laughs> but uh, outside of JD, I was the next oldest guy. Yeah. You know, so... I already had this stuff. Not that age puts these things on you, but I'd already put them on myself. You know, yeah. these responsibilities, whether it be monetarily or emotionally or relationship-wise. And, and it was, was totally like, understandable. I can't do that. And I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember, I remember crying because I was like, hurt. Uh, I, I remember. But I wasn't upset with you. No, I was no, crying because yeah. I knew, I knew that's what you had to do. And I was just like, oh man, you know, like, and I knew, I put it this way. I do remember crying because a part of me knew that when you left that this thing was going to probably dissipate at some point because I didn't know uh I feel like and it's nothing you know personal against them but you know Joey and Dan aren't the type of guys that are going to promote a band and be you know doing all the right things to help a band out whereas and you know I felt like you know you and even JD was good at this of of like speaking for the band and and stuff and I just I didn't I, I felt like maybe then that I didn't knew that I couldn't handle all of it on my own. And then we went on and schools actually did a tour with Morning Teleportation as a three-piece. Uh, it finished as a two-piece, which is funny how st- schools totally went down. Went back to one Comes guy. full circle. <laughs> Comes full circle. Because um, I should go back and say Dan was the first person to jump on stage on that song and then Ben actually. So Dan was the first person. Right. So and then Ben, they both together. So it comes full circle that uh, we played the last uh, – tour show in Chicago and uh, Alex Lindsay uh, actually helped out he was on the tour and he you know learned uh, the bass lines pretty quick to a few songs but he didn't learn them all and um, so me and Dan played as a two piece so it came full circle yeah. we finished out in Chicago as a two piece um, but yeah it schools was great man I had a blast I'm, I'm so glad it happened and I think a lot of people the thing behind it is they don't really know what happened we just kind of just fell apart and yeah fell up to the mat but um it was you know it it was various factors i don't think i at that time was capable of being a responsible uh band leader and you know i I was i don't think i could hindsight's always 2020 but i think if i was put in that position now i would have done most of the shit way differently right yeah of course yeah of course so yeah so after schools what do you do Okay, so after schools, um, the last school show was at Rocky's Bar. 
that I remember in September of 2013, we played with the Turbo Fruits. Um, and pretty much knew that was going to be the last show. Um, there was some dates booked um, out of town, actually, that fall, a little after that, the same month, uh, September, October, that we ended up canceling because I um, uh, I made a big change. I had some stuff going on, and so I actually left Bowling Green for a period. I went to this um, spiritual retreat um, to try to get sober, and I was there for 46 days. And we canceled the school's tour, and I pretty much knew like going there that school's was going to be over, and I was kind of almost ready for something different. Because the partying, what... You know, it, it got its best of me, and it was part of the, the collapse of schools. Like I said, I wasn't as good of a leader because I wasn't as responsible enough, and I was partying too much. So anyway, after schools, and I go on that retreat, uh, I was writing new songs then. Uh, I come back, uh, move out of my place, uh, downtown on Park Street. Um, been saving money, lived with my parents for a couple months, moved to Nashville, 2014. Uh, initially, when I moved there, I wasn't playing in a band, but I had a you know a lot of new songs, and so I got in touch um, with some friends um, after it was 2015. Tony Smith from Sleeper Agent actually was my roommate. He moved in with me in Nashville, and we actually formed a band that we only played two shows. It was me and him, Scott Gardner, and Lee Williams, and we were called uh, Sweet Team. I don't uh, remember Sweet Team. We played okay. one show at Tidballs and one show at Mercy Lounge in Nashville. I was the first and only band I've ever played lead guitar in. Was that a re- original music? Original music written for Sweet Team. For Sweet Team, okay. yeah. Uh, me and Tony uh, wrote. He, you know, he wrote the songs, and I just basically come up with uh, lead parts and stuff. Right. So we played two shows, and then so Scott and Lee had been playing with them, but I was like, man, you know, I got to get back playing my own music. So I started a band called, and I'd already had the name in mind, called Soft Crush. Mm-hmm. And Soft Crush um, had the funny thing about it is over the couple of years that I actually played as Soft Crush in Nashville, I think I added it up one day. There ended up being sixteen different people that played in that lineup. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Now, are there any recordings of Sweet Team or Soft Crush available online? There are no recordings of either available online. Sweet Team, there was, I think I've got it on an email. There was some home demos that we recorded, like, just basically while we were practicing, rehearsing for these shows. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we played those two shows, and I think Tony, you know, it just wasn't what he was looking for at the time. And so I picked up Scott and Lee and picked up my buddy Greg and started playing some shows out. Didn't record, or actually, I did record one thing as Soft Crush, but it was still, it was all me uh, that was writing the songs and doing most of the recording with my friend Saul, who's from England, that I met in Nashville. And that was the first recordings I did in Nashville in 2015. So that's kind of the next thing after post-schools was what happened. Right. So what's after that? So after that, um, Soft Crush, um, the lineups, you know, that I had... uh, Scott was working with Waco Bell at the time, and he, you know, he was much more. It's in Bowling Green. I think he was much more passionate about working on that. It was something new and exciting for him, and so you know, he told me he wanted to focus on that, and you know, that was cool. I knew that that might be the case. Um, also, I wasn't really. I kind of went through a depressive uh, period where I wasn't booking shows, and I'd lost interest in a lot of you know music and playing live, and 
being very social. So that kind of added to that. And then Scott kind of dropped out and Lee dropped out um, just because there wasn't enough going on. And uh, they had other things that they were focused on at the time. So after that, I um, let's see. I, the last show I played as Soft Crush was in 2017 with a completely different lineup, completely different songs. Um, so between 2015 and 17, I basically did some home demos and recordings. Uh, I didn't really play out that much in 2015 and 16 I did, but 2017, only like a couple of shows, none in 2018. And then last year I played uh, a couple of acoustic shows. So really since then I've been more um, home recording, writing a lot, um, focusing on kind of my health. And I feel like I'm in a better position now Mentally and as a songwriter and musician, I feel like I've I've gotten better. You know, I can actually play some drums now and keyboard, a little bit of keyboard, and, you know, yeah. different stuff I can toy with that I used to couldn't do. So that's kind of been since then. That's kind of where it's it's been. I've just been doing a lot of writing at home, uh, some home recordings. There's one thing I'm I'm forgetting. Um, along that time too, um, I got with Dan, and this was this would have been I guess about 2015 or so maybe 16, um, but Dan and I got together with Brad Schultz, um, this new batch of songs that I've been performing with Soft Crush, and it kind of dissipated um, as far as like the lineup, um, but Dan and I recorded a five song EP, and that got done in, like I said, I think it was 2016, and I started working with some management that I had met, um, when I was in schools, uh, Dan Macta was my manager briefly from New York and he'd came down and we tried to work that EP to try to see if I couldn't, you know, get a, get a deal. And, uh, Dan, I feel like, you know, he was great to work with. He's a great guy, but I feel like, um, you know, Dan maybe, uh, wasn't the best manager for me at that time. Nothing to do with his skills or anything, but maybe I needed someone, uh, possibly like younger, maybe that was a little more in tune with kind of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so Dan couldn't really get a lot going for me. And so I kind of just had lost some faith and confidence. So I said on this Brad EP, which I'm actually releasing this year, don't take it so seriously. It's an older song I wrote, um, but I recorded it with Brad. Uh, it just came out actually yesterday. Um, so I'm releasing this EP and then since th- I recorded that EP, I've got a lot of home recordings um, that some of them I'm probably going to release, uh, maybe a few of them as, as an EP, but I'm going to do a lot of these songs, redo them in a studio. Um, actually, I'm looking at studios in Nashville now in the next couple of months um, at a few different places, and I'm probably going to, it's either going to be 10 or 12 songs, but it's it's going to be a full album. Right. So. So that's where I'm at now, and I'm actually about to start playing back out live again, which I'm excited about. Right. So. Of course, this is going to come out later. Than right. We're yeah. Exactly. But still. Um, yeah. But now you're not Jeremy Simon. No, I actually. After, well, you, know, you are. But I'm still Jeremy Simon. You're yes. Still the same guy. But. Still the same guy, but as part of I guess the reinventing myself and a fresh start, I just decided to, um, you know, drop Jeremy Simon and go by my middle name, uh, Jeremy Duran. Yeah, can you inform uh, the? And yes. old people say, tell the folks at home what that's about. Yes, um, this is pretty cool. So I was born, you know, November 6, 1983. Uh, that year, uh, Duran Duran's Rio album came out, and they had a hit song called Hungry Like the Wolf. Uh, my pregnant mother loved that song and thought Wait, it was an interesting name. Was she indeed hungry like a wolf because uh, of the pregnancy? 
I don't know. Okay. That's a good question. We should I've ask never your asked mom on that. We'll have but to call I your mom. I will say this. <laughs> we'll get her on the horn. Yeah. <laughs> Phone a friend. Phone a friend. <laughs> Phone a mom. <laughs> Jeremy's mom. Are you hungry like a wolf? Yes or no? Uh, so, yeah. So, she na- she thought it was an interesting name. And, uh, you know, uh, it was funny. When I was in a, a little kid, I, I was a little embarrassed about it. I was like, Duran Duran. Duran Duran sucks. You know, why do I have right. this name? And then I get a little older, and I was like, that's pretty cool. I've never, yeah. you know, never yeah. heard anyone else with that name. So. And we didn't, really, we didn't really touch on it, but your dad has a really sweet keyboard in your garage, in his garage, where he used to. Still yes, he did. Uh, yes, he does. Uh, he has a uh, 67 Fender Rhodes combo. Rhodes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fender Rhodes combo. And, uh, yeah, you know, going to all – I've left that out, too. My dad was a huge influence. He bought me that first bass. Uh, and he's actually, you know, technically he's my stepdad. But when he came into my life, uh, when I was around like 10 years old, you know, he's really the only dad I've ever known. So he's definitely my dad. But he introduced me to music. He was a fan of like Neil Young and, you know, me, Russell. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. And I think Heart of Gold was my favorite song when I was probably like 10 or 11 years old. So, yeah. yeah. And it was, my dad was a big influence on that. And, um, you know, Growing up, uh, after I had that bass and stuff, even though I wasn't in bands, like in high school, every time my grandmother would come in from Arizona, uh, we would get together in the garage. My dad would play keyboard. My other brothers would play, and we would rotate around instruments, and we'd play songs. And we did that every Christmas for years. So so why do you play music? Uh, I play music because... No, don't say you like it. Yeah, exactly. No, I, it's much deeper yeah. than that. Obviously, I like it. I mean, uh, that's well, obvious. actually, would be the best answer would be because I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> that would be the deepest answer of all time because I I despise it. <laughs> I play it because uh, you know I don't want to go uh, too far into it, but it's there's definitely a, a deep layer of the reason I play music. Um, the joy it, and the feeling and excitement that it gives me, that it gave me when I was a kid, has still yet to leave me. Like at 36 years old. When I come up with a new song or I learn how to play a cover song or I have a good jam or I play a live show, um, that feeling that's inside, is it's just unbeatable. Um, it's funny to say this, but I honestly think uh, it, you know, it can be better than an orgasm at times for me. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, I love it more than anything. But the reason I play it, I think, is because what got me really into music and I was into visual art before I was into music. I was into like drawing and, you know, making like little puppets and Play-Doh dolls and shit when I was a kid. I was always like creating, building stuff, Legos and all that. But um, I think music also, it opened up that, like when I started writing songs, that I could kind of go into my old world and maybe some of the stuff that I was dealing with as a child, I was able to escape that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this is my safe, creative world that hey, I've got this music I can, you know, create and it's mine and I'm the only person that can go into this world. Right. And it's, you know, that can sound a little weird, but it was just very fun and it was, and maybe it started out as kind of a, almost like a, a coping, like protective mechanism with art and music. But the passion that I have for, for both, like anything I do um, that involves like drawing or music, art or anything, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be into it and try to do my best on it. But, um, yeah, I, I think that was a, initially what got me into art and music was the just the uh, availability of escaping everything and going into your own yeah. world, you know. So what's the best song that – not the best, but what's your favorite song you've written? You know, it's funny. I get, I've been asked that before, and uh, 
it's pretty it's pretty funny um usually my favorite song i've written is the last one i've written um sure and then after i write it and record it and mix it and listen to the hell out of it you know even if i'm it's a demo but i still want it to yeah. sound good then it's not my favorite song anymore sure. so it's hard really to say uh, i feel like i'm like chasing the uh dragon so to speak that mm-hmm. one of the things for me to What's write the songs first good song you wrote first good song right that, that i felt good about okay there we you're go. like there you go that's a song yeah okay i would say probably the first good song that i wrote that i was like all right that's a song was probably a mighty shakedown that i felt really good about oh, okay um and uh, there's another song that actually i turned it out feeling really good about that i remember you actually gave me some confidence in was um was uh if i wake up I showed you that song on yeah. Robbie's porch, and I was just—we were trying to figure out a new song to record. And you're like, "Why haven't we done this one already?" Right. And I was like, "I don't know. I just—is this good?" Yeah. That's you know? a Weezer party song. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I remember that, but no, the first one I thought I was like, "I may have actually done something good here." I think it was probably a mighty shakedown, and that's when I was still playing acoustic before we started with schools. That was an older Jeremy Simon song, Bruce Cheetah song. So, what's the best song of all time? Whew. Man, you're you're asking tough questions, Russell. Uh, I don't know if there is a best thing, a song of all time, because give me a few of your favorites. Right, exactly, and I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this because it is it's a fun question. Um, all right, so it's like um, Sir Mix a Lot, Baby Got Back. Start there, <laughs> right? What's this, what's another one? Um, I would say you know Mama Number Five, Lou Bega. You can't leave that one okay, out. Okay, there we got okay Mama Number Five, Baby Got Back. Um, Wild Wild West, Will Smith. Oh, 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 yes, um, yes, of course. Let's see. Jump around. Jump around. Uh, Crisscross jump. Any song with jump in it, you're a big Van Halen. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead and jump. And even the uh, what's the uh, you the like mash- jumping, yeah. right? As a rule, jumping's fun. Uh, what what is the uh, the mashup of uh, Van Halen and, and the Beatles? Have you heard that one? The imagine imagine a jump. No. <laughs> so no, it's I heard it's that. the piano of the song Imagine, but it's David Lee Roth's <laughs> vocals track on it. So all the little ah! and all that stuff's on there too. It's fun. Check that out. Yeah. Um, favorite songs, though, realistically. Um, few that come to mind. Um, this is tough. Achey, breaky heart. Yeah. She don't know she's beautiful. Because I will put it this way, I have favorite artists that I like a lot of their stuff. I'm I mean, those, it, then. of course, uh, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, uh, Wilco, um, The Velvet Underground, J.J. Uh, Kale, um, when I was a kid, it was Nirvana, but I'm, I'm not really into that sound anymore. But uh, let's see, other people I really like um, lately. You know who I really like is who's like probably my favorite right now is Kate LeBon. Do you know who Kate LeBon is? I don't. No. Uh, she's awesome. She has a really unique like voice. Um, she's like a newer indie artist. She's been out probably around eight to ten years. Um, you may have heard one of her songs accidentally on like Revolution College Radio or something and didn't know yeah. it. Um, but she's probably one of my favorites right now. Uh, it, when I get into bands, I usually try to, like if I hear a couple songs I like, I'm sure a lot of people are this way, I usually just try to dis- discover their discography. And I'm an album listener. I like to listen to a full album, thing, take yeah. the whole thing in. Um, like I said, I, I like doing that at the gym. I'll listen to a full album or on a drive or something. Um, but... Yeah. Um, so what are you benching nowadays? Bench pressing? Talking about the gym, yeah. So what are, what are, oh, what are you, you know, I, I don't do any bench What's pressing, your max actually. Reps there? I, uh, I mean, what, not, that's not what they say. That shows how much I know about gym. <laughs> what's, 
What's your, at least what's your max? Yeah, I guess would it would be your max. Um, what's funny? Not your, I, not your max. I don't reps. think I've done a bench press since high school. What was it then? Um, it's actually pretty good for a Seven, small eight hundred pounds, probably. For a small dude, I think I could bench at one point about two hundred pounds. That seems like a lot. I have no idea. Well, like for a hundred fifty pound dude, that's I feel like fifty pounds every weight's not bad, but. Could I lift that now? No way in hell. I feel like a man. Well, of course, you know, I'm, I'll be 85 this year. But I yeah. feel like if a man can pick himself up, that's that's good. Yeah, if, I mean, if I can get out of bed in the morning, that's pretty yeah. good. You know, <laughs> if you can lift your own body weight, you're I'm in doing shape. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't do no. I don't do any. Uh, I just uh, I just do walking, and it's it's like a mall walk pace at the gym. So you just you're mainly a leg guy. You're just squatting. You're out there. No squat. No, it's skip, just you, I basically pay for a gym. Like your upper half of your body is. You know fairly nominal it's small but your thighs are just <laughs> insane I mean, you guys can't see because it's an audio medium but like he, he is literally crushing the legs off the drum stool just with his monstrous thighs so you just you, you just crush thighs every day what's funny is like as we're talking about this it's making me realize how much money i'm wasting on the gym membership because of all the uh stuff i could utilize there but i go and i walk because it's cold outside or it's raining and uh, well, I mean, the, but your thighs, though. And there's you girls at the gym. Them. I'm not going to lie. There are girls at oh, the they're, gym. They're, they're going to be impressed. Those thighs are huge. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll have to see them in person. Uh, <laughs> you, I'm a little you, insecure about you it. You should so. come to a show and see Jeremy's thighs, because I'm telling you. My like, face is very red right now. I'm glad no one can see this. he's going on a uh, waist circumference to one thigh ratio. Like, his thighs are as, as wide as his waist. He's a very odd being to look at, but he is... <laughs> Jacked. What did the, what are those? The uh, I'm I can't afraid he's going to hurt his genitals just for being so muscular. <laughs> what are those cowboy pants that are flared out? You know, what I'm talking about that uh, chaps. Chaps. I couldn't think of the word. Yeah. No, that, you can't get no chaps. There, you can't get no size. chaps on these legs. No, they're too big. No. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I can't do country wrestle is because I can't wear the <laughs> can't attire because these no. damn legs are just too much to handle. They're they're huge. So yeah. and instead of actual calf muscles, he has actual calves. <laughs> Strapped to the back of his legs because that's how he works out. He is, he is <laughs> young cows strapped to to the back of his ankles because that's it, just how he works out. I think I'm gonna start using that. I like young cows as opposed to calves. <laughs> well, calves, calves, right? Or is it calves? What is the F? I'm not sure. But anyway, he's got actual um, cows strapped to his legs and. My dog just kind of clawed him in the crotch a little bit. He just touched me in the crotch. Um, hey, buddy. Well, is there anything you want to say to the kids at home? Um, or to the old people at home? Anybody who listens home? to this, I was just going to say it's awesome to do this. I've listened to several of these episodes. It's I'm glad that uh, there's a place where we can hear some cool stories about the Bowling Green music scene. And music scene in South Central Kentucky because... There's a lot of cool history here, man, you know? Right. And uh, it's cool, too, because even friends and musicians that I've known uh, over the years, when if you guys have got them on here, you learn all kinds of stuff you didn't know about before, you know? And Oh, yeah. Well, that's like earlier when you said consuming the airplane. I was like, oh, my God. And actually, I forgot about the family raccoon or whatever it was Yeah. Called. Yeah, and that was... And uh, I'm trying I played to... with you guys, and I've yeah. forgotten about that. Yeah. You just forget. Yeah. That's uh, another reason I kind of wanted to do this, you know, and I'm really happy and thankful that you know tommy and dean have done this and kept it going for a while because if we don't get this on record then right i mean it'll matter to somebody trust me one day it'll be great to go back and hear this stuff that's like and not to go out on a down down note but like 
Billy Swayze. Like I, I'd send exactly. him a message. I was like, come do this. And he didn't, but especially now, unfortunately, under yeah. bad circumstances, it would have been great Man, for a lot of people to have him on record talking about everything you just talked about, you know, his story and stuff. I would have loved to have heard that interview, man. Yeah. Um, oh, Billy, you know, uh, he, uh, man, he was something else. Uh, it's, he, I will say this. Um, you said, is there anything I want to add, you know, tell the people out there? Um, you know, the Bowling Green music community has been hit hard with deaths in the past year. But, um, you know, I really do think that if it wasn't such a tight-knit, close little community, it might be much more difficult to deal with. Like, if something, I don't know how the, if I'm translating that correctly, you know, it, this is a good little small community where pretty much everyone knows everyone, and it helps with the grieving process to talk about and share stories because everyone's buddies and friends and have played in bands together or played a show together or had beers at Ted Balls together. So I think that it really helps because we have a strong, um, you know, community of, you know, t- I mean, Ted Balls employees. To me, Ted Balls is as much the Bowling Green music scene, even though, you know, John Tidball and Jarvis don't play music. They, right. They're celebrities, you know. They gave yeah. us all an opportunity. And, Young uh, Jardy. Young Jardy. So I will say big thanks to Ted Balls for uh, letting me play shows and being the coolest, coolest dive bar I've yet to, or I've still been to. I've yet to find one that I liked better, so. Right. All right. Well, Mr. Simon, thank you very much, sir. All right. Thanks, Russell, and uh, uh, have a good rest of your day. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs)